that that song ends, that we will one day gather around the table of the king for the marriage supper of the Lamb. We partake when we take the bread and the cup. It is a foretaste of what's coming. Well, at this time, kids can be dismissed to Children's Church, and the rest of you will open your Bibles with me to the book of Mark, chapter 12. Mark, chapter 12, is where we're going to begin today, and in chapter 12, verse 13, is where we're going to begin. Our passage this morning, I've titled the sermon, A Tax Test, and in our text this morning, uh, Jesus is addressing some questions about taxes. Um, It's often said there, there are two things that we can't escape. What are they? Death and taxes, right? We all know that. We all face death and we all have to pay taxes. In our, ta- in our passage this morning, that we're going to see Jesus address taxes. But he addresses something a little different than death and taxes. What Jesus talks about today is life and taxes. Specifically, the taxes we pay and the lives that we've received. And the lives that we have to give to our Lord. What begins in verse 13 by saying this. And they sent him to some. They sent him to some of. They sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians, to trap him in his talk. And they came and they said to him, "Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances, but you truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not?" But knowing their hypocrisy, Jesus said to them, Why do you put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought one. And he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. And Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. When our passage this morning, it begins by telling us in verse 12 that they sent the Pharisees and the Herodians. As we think, well, who are the they? As we're studying our Bibles, we would come to that first question we would ask, well, who are the they? And we have to track ourselves back, all the way back to chapter 11, verse 27, to find out who the they are. Who are these people that are sending these Herodians and Pharisees to trap Jesus? And we're told in verse 27... It says, and they came again to Jerusalem, that's Jesus and his disciples, and as he walked in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him, all right? So that's the they. The they is this group that is the kind of the ruling class in Jerusalem. Over the Jewish people, these are the people that have authority. They're the ones that set the rules. They're the ones that set the pace for what's happening in the temple, and they've asked Jesus, by basically, who do you think you are? Because he turned over the tables and he's been uh, doing things that are uh, upsetting them. But here, so this they, they've not been able to trap Jesus. They've tried and tried to, to get him in trouble. They've tried and tried to be able to put him away. But they have been, they've been unsuccessful. And so what do they do? They send this group, this group of the Pharisees and the Herodians to him. And they go there for a purpose, not to really ask a genuine question. They don't go to ask questions because they want to be learners. They're they're going because they're asking questions, our text tells us, to trap him in his talk. Right? They know Jesus is a teacher. They know that everybody listens to him. And they think if they're going to trip him up, it's going to be something that he says. And so they come to him. And this group that comes to him, it says, the Herodians and the Pharisees. And this group of people is a unique group. 
You see, this two, these two groups have come together for a common purpose. And their common purpose is they want to destroy Jesus. And, and so Herodians and Pharisees are very different groups. Right? They, don't, they don't normally work together. Right? The Herodians and Pharisees, for instance, the Herodians, they were a political party that were all about advancing the political agenda of the, the family of King Herod. That's why they're the Herodians. Right? And, and so many of them are Jewish, and they're using some of the Jewish uh, laws and things to advance their causes. But on the other side, we have the Pharisees. And the Pharisees are the religious conservatives. They're the religious, religious conservatives of the day who are focused on the law. They're adamant about the law. They want to honor God. And the manner in which they want to honor God is by keeping all of the rules, keeping them in very exact ways. They, they are very legalistic about tithing, even if they're tithing, even down to the amounts of like how much, how much spices they have. I mean, they're really very tight on that. They're legalistic. And they're focus was on they wanted to honor God, but we learn from Jesus that their hearts are far from him. And so this group of people, though, they would be very focused on religion, they're very focused on the law, and probably didn't want to have a lot to do with politics and weren't really interested in all of that. And yet, because there's a common enemy, Jesus, they unite together to destroy him. I mean, this group is uncommon, and to see them working together, it would be like uh, PETA, the people for the ethical treatment of animals, working with like Longhorn Steakhouse for a car wash or something. I mean, you show up, you're like, this makes no sense that these groups are working together. I mean, this must be some significant cause because this just doesn't happen. And so they come to Jesus, and they come to Jesus, and it begins in verse 14. They come to him, and they're praising him. They show up, and they say, teacher, we know that you are true. We know that you don't care about anyone's opinion and you're not swayed by appearances, but you truly teach the way of God, right? I mean, they've got the butter knife out and they are buttering up Jesus, right? They're putting it on thick and they're talking all these things. And, and so they then say, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? And as they come to Jesus with this question, they come not with questions but a trap. And they use this hypocritical praise of Jesus. You're true. You teach the true ways of God. You're a teacher. They're doing all that to camouflage their trap. They're hoping Jesus doesn't see it coming, right? Because they, they really don't believe that he's a teacher, they reject his teaching. They've not paid any attention to him. In fact, they're calling him teacher. They would say, well, listen, if you're calling me teacher, why don't you do what I say? They say that, that you, we know that you are telling the truth, that you are true. But just a few chapters earlier, they're saying you have a demon. They say that you're not concerned about the appearances of others. You're not concerned about the opinions of others. They're right on that. And then they say that, that you treat you treat according to the truth of God's word. They don't believe that either because they're going to call him and they think he's a blasphemer. And so all these different points, they don't believe any of this, but they're teaching, they're saying all of this because they are carefully crafting a trap to, so they can be able to destroy and reject Jesus. 
And their anticipation is that they have these two questions. These two questions, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar and should we pay them? And these two questions they put together because they expect that their question is going to divide and conquer. Because if Jesus, so the question is very simple, it's yes or no. Should we pay taxes? Yes. Should we not? No. What, should we yes or no? And they've crafted it in this way because if Jesus simply answers yes, if he says yes, it's lawful to pay taxes, he's going to alienate a large percentage of those who are listening to him because they, they, they don't like the fact that Rome is ruling over them. They don't like the fact that they have to pay taxes to this immoral government. They don't like the fact that, that, that who's putting the people in positions in their own government are, are these pagans. They don't like that. And so if Jesus says, yes, you should pay your taxes, and that's all he says, they'd be divide these people, and they wouldn't like it. The Pharisees wouldn't like it. The other side, if he says, no, it's unlawful to pay taxes, so if they say, is it lawful to pay taxes? Nope, don't pay them. Then who's he get in trouble with? Right, the government. He gets in trouble with Rome. And so they've carefully crafted this question and laying this trap. And so the trap is set, the trap is camouflaged, and they're standing there, and I'm imagining as they've asked the question, they kind of lean in, and they're thinking, is he going to step into it or not? What's he going to say? And we read on a little further in verse 15, but knowing their hypocrisy, right? Jesus knows they're not genuine, Jesus knows these people aren't asking him questions because they want to learn. He knows that they're not coming to him with a genuine interest in learning. He knows that, and he's listened to their praise, and he sees his hypocrisy, and he says to them, and he asks them a question, why do you put me to the test? All right, Ah, camouflage ripped off, right? I know it's there. I see the trap. Why do you put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. So a denarius is a coin. And this coin, I put a picture here for you. Um, Well, I've got just a moment. There's a coin, all right? So this coin has a picture on it, and this is the picture of, of Tiberius. He is the son of Caesar. Okay, so that's whose picture is on this. And a denarius would be worth about a day's wage. And so in our world, just imagine it's like a $100 bill. He says, all right, okay, um, why are you putting me to test? Bring me a $100 bill and let me look at it, all right? So he pulls out the $100 bill and he begins to look at it, right? And so he does that and they brought one to him and he says to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? Whose likeness and inscription is this? So whose likeness is it? Caesar's, okay, the inscription that's on it, uh, the inscription that's on it, it actually it says this. I've got it here in my notes. It says, the inscription says that this is Caesar. Okay, it tells us that it is Tiberius, the divine son of Augustus. Okay, that's what the Latin says. I had to look it up. I can't read Latin. But on one side, on the head side, that's what it says. It says, Tiberius, son of the divine Augustus divine they believe caesar augustus is a god he raised himself up to that on the tail side of it it says pontificates maxim which means priest of the roman religion right so jesus gave they gives him the denarius and jesus begins to look at it 
And he says to them, whose likeness and inscription is on this? And they say Caesar's. And so they're right about this. They say this is exactly who's on it. As Jesus does this, Jesus is revealing their hypocrisy. You see, they're critical of paying taxes, right? They, they don't, we don't think you should pay taxes, or we're really not sure if you should or not. Uh, but yet, what do they have in their pocket? They have a denarius in their pocket. And what does the fact that they're carrying a denarius indicate? That they're using it, that they're spending the money, right? And so they're critical of paying taxes to the government, but they're thoughtlessly using the money of the government. You see, this would be like on our $100 bill. Okay, get the $100 bill out, and you see it's a face. It doesn't have Caesar on it. It doesn't have a, pres- a current president. It has Benjamin Franklin on it, right? And this $100 bill, it says Federal Reserve Note, right, which means that belongs to somebody, right? On the Federal Reserve Note, it says this note is legal tender for all debts, public and private. It has a name written across the top of it, United States Treasury, other parts of it says United States of America, right? It says all of these things, and it's indicating that this money represents what? The United States government. And we say, well, well how does it represent it? Because here's the deal. Does, how much value is in the piece of paper? Right, the piece of paper, there's almost no value in the paper. Where does the value come from? The value comes from because, because the government um, orchestrates and manages our currency and we have put certain trust and value into that, that we are using this money that's circulated by the government. We're using that money. And so in some ways we could say we're already a part of the system just by using the money. I mean, if you're really adamant about I'm, I'm, I'm anti-government, then don't use their money. Well, come on, we're not that serious about all this. I mean, come on, what, how are we going to live? Well, what are, you, what are you dedicated to? And so Jesus sees their hypocrisy. They're playing games with him, and he pushes right through that. Well, as Jesus then is, a, is critical of them, pay, that he sees all of this in this picture of this denarius. Again, it's a picture of Caesar, of Tiberius, and it's a statement that he is this Roman priest. And there's a part of seeing that level of like religious talk would give you a little bit of concern. Right? I mean, it's like, well, okay, I mean, I, I get that we're using this money, but, man, it does say, I mean, that he's the son of a god and he's a priest of this Roman religion. I'm not even a part of this Roman religion. I'm not a part of any of that. And yet we use the money. And so the question is, well, what should we do with this? Should we pay taxes or not? Because if I, if I pay my taxes, it's almost as though I'm giving allegiance to Rome. I'm saying that, that I agree with all that if I give them this money. And I don't agree with that. We could say that today in our own world about paying taxes. Oftentimes we can ask a good question, is it right to pay taxes? Because we could think about some of the things that our government does with our money. And we could think there are, we could probably point to very specific things that we think, I don't want my money funding this cause. I don't want my money funding that cause. I don't want to be a participant with that in our government. I don't want to be a part of that. And so we could wrestle with, really, should we be paying taxes? Because I don't want to swear allegiance to things that I'm, I'm not on board with. So what's the answer to this? Well, 
the answer that Jesus gives to his disciples and gives to the Herodians and the Pharisees is the same answer we need to hear. And the answer Jesus gives is this. In verse 17, Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And this idea of rendering, the idea of rendering or pay, it's, it actually has the idea of giving back, paying a debt. That it's the idea of that we owe something and there's an obligation that we have. And so another way, this idea when Jesus says render to Caesar, he says you have a responsibility. You have a responsibility to Caesar. You have a responsibility uh, other, to the one whose image you bear. Because on that coin, it bears Caesar's. It's his image, and so you give back to him what you owe him. If they say you owe 26%, you give them 26%. If they say you owe them 40%, you give them 40%. If they say that's what you do, why? Because we want to be, it, it's on their name, their, it's their coin. And so Jesus says, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And from this, we see that, that, that the image teach, that Jesus is teaching that obligation is tied to image. Obligation is tied to image. Whose image is on the coin? Caesar's. Who do we have an obligation to? Caesar. We give back to Caesar what is Caesar's. And so we recognize that we have an obligation then to the one whose image is on our money. Their image is on their money. So, so we pay our taxes. And then Now, so Jesus doesn't just say, yes, pay your taxes. He goes beyond that. He says, whose image is on it? And he says, give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's because the image of Caesar is on the coin. And then he says, and render to God the things that are God's. And we would think, well, what belongs to God? What, what about image that we read in the Bible about something that bears God's image? Well, in the first chapter of the Bible, who do we, what do we read bears God's image? We do. We were created in the image of God. Genesis 1, 26 and 27, God says, let us make man in our image. And it says in verse 27, so God made man in his image. Male and female, he created them. That God made us and he stamped us with his image. And what is he teaching here? He's saying, yes, pay your taxes to God because you owe your taxes to God, but he, to, to Caesar. But he's then also saying, pay what you owe to God. And what do we owe to God? Our very lives. Our very lives, we are stamped with God's image. And what do we owe Him? We owe Him our very lives. Listen, every breath we've taken, every cell in our body that's multiplied that has caused growth, every electrical impulse that has allowed us to have nervous reactions, to be able to see and to hear, everything has been given to us by God. And this is raised to an even greater level as we consider the Lord's Supper that we shared this morning, that we recognize that what else has God given to us? He hasn't just given us life, but He's given us new life. He's given us new life in Christ. He's taken away our sins to, to, to make us new. 
And as a result of that, that we're not our own, that we were bought with a price. And as we understand that, we bear God's image. And because we bear God's image, we give to him what we owe him, and what we owe him is our very lives. And what does that look like for us to owe God our very lives? It means that God would call us to faithfulness. That to be faithful to God is what he's calling us to. He's given us time. He's given us treasures. He's given us talent. He's given us resources. And he's blessed us and blessed us with those for our enjoyment. I mean, the scriptures tell us that God's given us all things for our enjoyment. And yet we also have an obligation to God that we don't use and consume everything that we have on ourselves, but that we live faithfully, that we live with a risky obedience. That rather than working every hour I can, I'm faithful with my time. And I I, I could make more money if I worked more hours, but I'm determining not to do that because I want to be involved in the ministries of the church. I want to be ensuring that I'm having quality time with my family. God has given me this time, and I want to use my time for His glory and for His purposes. I want to be faithful with that. God's given me talents. God's given the ability to fix things or able to clean things or an ability to be creative. And these things that God has given to me, I want to render to God the things that are owed to God. That my talents, I want to use them for His glory. And I want to use them at my workplace. I want to do that to earn a living and to give God glory in my work, but also to give God glory in the fact that I'm using that also for His purposes and for the ministry of the church. And the money that I make, the resources that God's entrusted me with, that I can consume it all, and because of credit cards, I can even consume more than I have. But instead of living that level of lifestyle, I'm going to humbly live on a lower amount so I can trust my resources to God. That I give to God the things that belong to Him. Well, when Jesus gives this answer, that again, they expected His trap, yes or no, divide and conquer. But Jesus doesn't answer the question their way. He doesn't say, yes, it's right to pay taxes. No, it's not right to pay taxes. He answers it by saying, give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. In essence, saying, yes, pay your taxes. But he doesn't leave it there. He says, and give to God what is due him. And they realize, what has Jesus done? And Jesus, in many ways, has taken a sledgehammer and he's crushed their trap. Because they realized, ah, that didn't work. That didn't work. Because who's he said? The Romans aren't upset because basically he said pay the taxes. The Jewish people, the religious people aren't upset because they said basically give your life to God. And so nobody wins. And it ends in the verse and the passage ends by saying, and they marveled at him. They're They're like, man, he's good. Every time we try to throw a trap, he just messes it up. And rather than them humbling themselves, they continue to push back. But what Jesus has demonstrated, that what Jesus demonstrates is everything that they said about him up in verse 14. See, verse 14 said, when they came to him, they said, Teacher, we know that you are true. What has he just done? 
He's just taught them about taxes, and he's taught them some biblical theology about who owns them. He has just taught them. He has been a teacher to them. He says, we know that you are true. What have they just realized? Well, he's right. Caesar's face is on that. We owe that to Caesar. God's image is on us. We owe that to God. He's amazingly wise in his answers that are always right. They confess that. It says that you do not care about anyone's opinions. You're not swayed by appearances. He didn't care that the Herodians, who are the political people, were in front of him. He wasn't concerned about offending them. The Pharisees, he wasn't concerned about offending them. He was going to speak the truth. And so he speaks truth. He's a teacher. He's true. He doesn't care about the opinions and the appearances of others. And at the end of verse 14, or in the middle of it, says, You truly teach the ways of God. He didn't teach the way of man. He didn't teach what they expected on either side of it. He taught bigger than that. He is not teaching what's pragmatic. He's teaching what the Word of God teaches. And he points them all the way back to the book of Genesis about the idea of image and whose image he's been created in. And so we see in this tight little passage in verses 13 to 17, Jesus uncover their hypocrisy, destroy their trap, shock them by his wisdom and teaching, and then challenging all of us, are we giving to Caesar what is Caesar's, and are we giving to God what is God's? And that would be the question for us this morning. Are you giving to God what belongs to him? And what belongs to him? You do. You do. And that begins by surrendering your life to him. By trusting this one whose body was broken for us, whose blood was shed so that our sins could be wiped away and that we could be made new. That we'd begin by surrendering our lives to Jesus and confessing him as our Lord. But then it would also continue as believers that we would seek to live in light of all that he has done for us. That we would live faithfully to our God in our marriages, in our parenting, in our work, in school, in our relationships with our neighbors, in every part of our lives. Because we belong to God, we would give to him what he deserves. And what does he deserve to be glorified through our faithfulness? And so the question this morning, does God have you? Are you giving to God what, he, what you owe him? Are you giving to him yourself? Let us pray. Father, this morning as we look at this passage, Lord, we read about taxes. And Lord, we recognize this passage is way more than just about life and taxes. This is about life that Jesus gives to us. And Lord, this morning I pray that you would stir our hearts, that we would be a people who are giving you what you deserve. And Lord, what you deserve is all of us. You deserve our faithfulness. I pray that we would express that faithfulness in the manner in which we use our time, the manner in which we use our talents, the manner in which we use our treasures. And that, God, we would objectively look at ourselves and to be able to say, Lord, we confess that, that your body was broken and your blood was shed and that our whole lives belong to you. Lord, it's easy for us to confess that. But, Lord, it's a challenge for us to live that out. And I pray this morning that you would stir our hearts, 
that you would help us examine ourselves and identify areas that we may be falling short in these ways and that we would consider what can we do to be more faithful. How do we demonstrate a risky obedience as we seek to follow you? God, help us. And Lord, this morning as we receive an offering, I pray that you would, you would help us to be faithful and generous. Lord, you have blessed us and blessed us and blessed us. Help us to be faithful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.